Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing recorded at various locations around the metropolitan New York City area. I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of the Fanatic PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes. And on social media, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And don't forget, you can also let us know how we're doing by leaving us a rating or a comment on iTunes or any other podcast platform. You can also tweet at us, Facebook at us. Uh, we have an email, pwcomicsworld at gmail.com. You can send us a message there. Just let us know how we're doing. Hit us up, folks. Hit us up. <laughs> All right. This week on More to Come, Diamond and DC Split. Okay. Uh, the passing of the great Denny O'Neill. Uh, uh, sadly, more allegations of sexual misconduct in comics. Uh, and the 25th anniversary of Howard Cruz's, uh, pioneering groundbreaking queer civil rights graphic novel, Stuck Rubber Baby. And Comic Con updates. Okay. All right. Uh, boy, the Ooh. elephant in the room, Diamond <sighs> and DC, uh, split. Uh, what I guess hey. So I guess this happened right on the day we did our last podcast because it seems like in COVID years it's already been about five years since this happened. But I guess it was only two weeks ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah. That would be yeah, yeah. yeah. It would be the day after we recorded. That's correct. So yeah, missed it by that much. Um, well, yeah, Diamond yep. uh, set, DC sent out a press release on Friday uh, and abruptly just said, "Hey, uh, no more Diamond. We're not going with Diamond anymore. We're going with Lunar uh, and uh, UCS. And uh, you have a week to get their uh, orders in order. And uh, hey, Canada and Europe, uh, we don't know how we're going to ship to you, but uh, anyway. Uh, so mm. yeah." And well, it's funny because I mean, I knew some some retailers had asked me, well, when they originally designated those two um, uh, mail order houses uh, that were going to take over distribution, uh, some retailers thought, well, this is in the interim a crisis situation, will they, you know, continue to do this afterwards? Boy, little did we realize. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was pretty obvious yeah. that DC wanted to pull away from Diamond. Um, you know, the the outcry was immediate, but then when is the outcry not immediate? You know, <laughs> uh, throughout all of this COVID stuff, and um, you know, retailers were were bereft and uh, you know devastated, and this mm. is going to destroy the direct sales market. But you know, so was Comic Hub, and so was just the idea of DC shipping comics when Diamond couldn't ship them. So you know, now I think I wrote a, a long piece on the beat called uh, "The Inside the DC Diamond Split," yeah. uh, that kind of went over a lot of the stuff that I've learned. Um, I mean, I keep talking to people. This is obviously something that yeah. everybody mm-hmm. wants to talk about. And, um, you know, the bottom line for retailers is that, um, 
you know, the actual, if you were a United States retailer, the actual practical effect of this is that, oh, you need to spend a little bit more time going over a different order list and you're going to pay a little bit more shipping. Mm. Um, you know, and the shipping might be $20 more or whatever. But, you know, yeah. I, and I said, if paying $20 a week more in shipping killed comics when COVID and everything else <laughs> didn't, then, you know, but then people pointed out it's just the last straw. And you know what? A lot of shops have announced that they're closing uh, because it yeah. just does seem that this is, you know, and, and everyone has mm-hmm. faulted DC for being, um, for being, for the way they announced it. You know, yeah. it was very abrupt, very sudden. They didn't give shops very long. Uh, and you know why did they do that? Is yeah. the question that everybody has. Well, DC's note said that this would uh, strengthen the direct market. Yeah, they did say that, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no one can quite figure out what that means, but that's what they said in their well, in their uh, statement. My guess would be their argument goes like this: Competition is good for markets. You may not see it now, but someday you'll thank us for bright. For breaking the stranglehold of diamond, I think that is their logic. I, I actually, I think that's a good point. Um, I think that over the years we have heard people talk about competition. Uh, it never didn't really seem as though too many, you know, there were too many people who wanted to go in and try and compete with DC, uh, excuse me, with Diamond on uh, distributing periodicals. Um, but maybe that is the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I, the reports have been that let Lunar and uh, UCS have been shipping things beautifully. And you know, one thing I heard over and over again was that Diamond shipped things awful. They were, you know, well, the boxes were all bomb bound up. So, all right, now you have these two new distributors uh, shipping things in beautifully wrapped safe boxes. So, don't you like that? Um, but you know, there's also concerns that. Uh, can they handle this volume? You know, everybody's compared it to Heroes World, and I, I do scoff at that because Heroes World happened in a very, very different time, the 90s. There was no internet. There was no bookstore market. There was no manga market. There was, yeah. you know, it was a different in- industry mm-hmm. entirely. Mm-hmm. However, new businesses, you know, ramping up rapidly um, is always subject to a stress test. Yeah, and- it's a hell of a scale up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there were other uh, issues. Uh, Your article brought them up. Uh, The questions around um, Diamond's um, uh, facilities, its infrastructure, whether it was modern, whether it – whether it, whether Diamond was really bringing its logistical capability up to the times now, that's – I mean, this is something that, that retailers have complained about uh, in the past. And, and you, uh, the other item, what you mentioned, the shipping and uh, packaging. So uh, wasn't there something in an article about Windows 95? Yeah, that was me. Yes, that was true. Uh, as recently as two years ago, Diamond used Windows 95, uh, which is so. not even supported anymore. So, yeah, you know, so, uh, you know, one of the key pieces of evidence and all of this was a, a message from Diane Nelson, the former publisher of DC on a, on a Facebook uh, where she, she said that, you know, that the inability or it, it, you know, either Diamond couldn't or didn't want to up, update uh, was one of the reasons that this is probably happening, although she's just a civilian now. And then she said, and, you know, they might not even be solvent. So, 
you know, I thought like Nisi's <laughs> ex-publisher accusing Diamond of perhaps not being solvent was a pretty big tell. A little shocking, um, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a shocker there. Mm. So, so I think these, you know, and I, you know, this is what I don't understand. I mean, I've talked to everybody and everybody's like, oh, I wish DC hadn't done that. You know, well, what about Diamond? What about Diamond one week into this crisis throwing in the towel and saying we can't yeah. do this? Well, what do you think Diamond should have done? Yeah, I mean, we, we, I mean, we. It wasn't really safe. Nothing was really open. It wasn't open. safe. The stores weren't open at the store. Some I mean, stores didn't never close. Some stores never closed. Yeah, but I mean, well, we, we, we did a whole program on this. Yes, I know uh, we did, but I keep and... going back to it. I keep going back to it because it's like, you know, you now have cut off, like nothing, like I said, nothing else. Nothing like Diamond had no solution for this. Okay, they could have had some kind of bookshop.org like solution. Okay, like like nothing else stopped shipping completely. Books kept shipping, Kelvin. Um. Well, books did keep shipping, but the stores still had the same problems. They couldn't really accept shipments, and right. they weren't open. Now, unless you were in, you know, a red state where you know you maybe you were open. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, Diamond wasn't the only, I mean, Diamond shut down, but it seems that, now I hear also that Diamond had problems in the, in their, in the warehouse too. Um, uh, there were, there were some book distributors also that had the same issues trying to shut down and re, and then reopen, uh, under social distancing guidelines where they could. So, I mean, this wasn't the, I mean, Diamond wasn't the only, um, uh, uh, the only distributor that had this issue, but um, and I can't say for sh- I, I really can't say off the top of my head whether any other um, regional distributor shut down completely, uh, except for Diamond Book because they were both operated out of the same warehouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean maybe at I the mean, end I'm of the day, saying, look, I'm just saying. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign. It's not a good sign. And then anytime Jeppy is confronted with it in this interviews, he just says, "Oh well, you know, we had enough. We could borrow enough money from our bank. We didn't even have to borrow any more money, so it was great. You know, we yeah. came through with flying cars because we didn't have yeah, to borrow that's, more money. That's but maybe that's, not the right angle to take mm. to talk about whether or not you needed to borrow money as opposed to the industry as a whole. Well, the point is they well, didn't even. Yeah, but I mean, they, yeah, they asked him, but it's also like, if you read that interview with, uh, with, so, so Steve Jeppy did an interview with Milton Grieve, mm-hmm. his longtime rival, so that was beautiful, and, uh, said that if they got the loan, they would have been able to go to, you know, like the end of May. I mean, the, that's just, Diamond is cash poor. Diamond is very cash poor, right? Yeah. And that's what this also shows, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they t- he also talks about how DC had been negotiating this contract for three years. So apparently, DC and Diamond, you know, Diamond, and the contract was almost up too. The contract, well, the contract was up. had had been up, yeah. and they were renegotiating the contract. See. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's why. Now I know other publishers who all his contracts have also run out with Diamond. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of peril out there. Well, right back now. to your back to your point about the, the Diamond shutdown. Uh, it's you 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 certainly uh it certainly makes sense in the sense that when you're when you dominate a market and then you shut down completely and there's nowhere else to turn mm-hmm. maybe that yeah. makes your clients realize that you know what we we we've got to do something different going forward 
So I I I, I see your point uh, under that light. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean it certainly made everybody think. You know, so what's really funny is that Marvel is now doubling down on this. You know, we're like, oh, we're still on Wednesdays. Oh, that's the other thing. Like DC Comics mm-hmm. go on sale on Tuesdays. Right, now. right, right. Uh, DC is doubling down. They did these variant covers that were like nothing but type saying uh, on sale Wednesday. You know, just as petty as you can be. So Marvel. Uh however, <laughs> I hear mm-hmm. that they are also uh looking at new distributors. So I heard this from multiple sources. So, um, well, you know. maybe this single dominant distributor for an entire channel thing has run its course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the perils are obvious. Yeah. And uh, I also I want to find something. There is a story here uh, that was actually very interesting about DC taking DC direct. OK, I'm trying to find this. Hold on. Let me, I'm, I'm sorry. You talk amongst yourselves. Uh, this is different for me to be sitting in front of my computer and doing this. Uh, yeah, here we go. Um, uh, after careful consideration of the current distribution model, we've determined we need a new, more comprehensive global solution by transitioning the distribution of DC Direct products to a new partner base. Now, DC Direct is toys, collectibles. Mm-hmm. And T-shirts. And T-shirts, right? And so, uh, oh, this one doesn't say where it went, but they went to uh, several different – oh, here we go. Uh, here we go. Uh, so they went with – a couple of different, they went with four different distributors for it, okay? And I can't find a story that actually tells about this. So maybe somebody was just gossiping with me about it and it wasn't actually a news story. So, uh, but anyway, they went with four different, uh, dist- oh yeah, DC will be distributed through Lunar, Entertainment Earth, Sideshow Collectibles, and UCS. Mm-hmm. DC Direct will fulfill any orders or products scheduled to be in the market after May 1st. However, they will still process and fulfill orders of previously purchased products so with the with their toys they went with four different distributors including sideshow and uh entertainment earth which is a huge you know mm-hmm. kind of boutique toy distributor so you know they're not putting their eggs in any one basket anymore well and that is very very clear that that may be the key to the, yes. the point you were making there as a matter of fact uh, i think we should probably point out that diamond will continue to distribute in the uk uh until the end of the year i think that's that's, right. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so the other biggest problem with this is that uh, you, they don't have a Canadian or UK distributor. But uh, so in the UK, it's found to be Diamond UK, which already existed. So they're sticking with that to distribute throughout Europe because otherwise the individual shipping through Lunar and, uh, or UCS it would have to be UCS, which is Midtown Comics, would be incredibly mm-hmm. expensive. Um, but you know, like this is a, a solvable problem. I know people are already working on solving these problems and finding some kind of drop ship solution for Canada, where you know you pay one price, you get the customs, you get the shipping, and all of that. So, um, you know, I'm pretty confident that every nobody seems to think that this problem is insoluble. Um, it's something that will be. Solved. Yeah, maybe Midtown needs a Canada warehouse. Yeah, right. <laughs> maybe they will. Maybe they'll start one. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, um, the new era starts, has started. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and you know, Kelvin and I, uh, so, you know, DC also announced, uh, what was it, the DC Terror Dome? What's it called? The Biodome? DC <laughs> Dome? It's the Fan Dome. Fan Dome, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, should we talk about that sure, in, in uh, the yeah. Comic Con update yeah, section? Yeah, we'll talk about that in the Con update section. Yeah. But, okay. but anyway, Kelvin and I That's reached out. That's a stupid out. name, though. I'll say I that. Know. 
So Calvin <laughs> and I reached out uh, very innocently, just wanting more information about fandom. And we're like, oh, we're not doing press on it right now. So, you know, that's the thing. It's like, I think I joked, it's like, uh, you know, I wish DC Comics were, um, y- you know, I mean, they're locked down tighter than, put your metaphor there. They are not making any public comment about any of this. And so that's a little frustrating, but, uh, and that's part of the reason why people are so uneasy about it. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So, uh, so they, they actually, I, this is the first I heard this. They didn't have anything to say at all about what they're doing. No, no. I mean, they haven't done any public. They just, you know, they've made announcements, and their individual retailers, you know, retail representatives right. are going on the private retailer forums. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not like Jim Lee or Hank Canals has, or Nancy Spears, who are the three people that I understand are in charge of the business side of things for this, have come out and, um, yeah. Let's, yeah. Let, let's talk about it more. We'll talk about it later in the link. So um, maybe we should move on to the passing of uh, Denny O'Neill. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking so, of the glory days of DC. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't. I, I did not know him like you guys do. Obviously, I knew of his work um, uh, and how what what uh, how uh, high esteem he was held in by everyone. Um, so, um, but so you guys feel free to to, to speak on his legacy. Well, Kate, you took a course. Or, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, tell us about yeah. that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I didn't know him personally. I only know him as a student. Yeah, um, well, but I, I, I thought as a teacher, I thought he was great, and mm. he was um, surprisingly humble about like some story decisions he'd made in the past. That looking back, he was like, "Yeah, that was that was a bad editorial decision, or that was a bad decision as a writer." And I really appreciated that because there are a lot of people in the comic book industry who will defend to death things that in retrospect maybe weren't great ideas, which like there's no shame in admitting, hey, it seemed like a good idea at the time, but but a lot of people won't do that. And he, he would do it, at least in private and well, semi-private in a class, which mm. I, I found a great example. And he was also willing to talk a little bit um, inside baseball. So, Kate, what was the topic of the class? So the topic was about writing comics, which, I mean, who more would you want to see than sure. for that? And, um, you know, he was very – he was very story-centric about it. Mm-hmm. It was – which was great. Like a lot of times people can get so bogged down in technicalities, they lose sort of the story, and he didn't. Um, and – that is the end of what I can say about taking class from Denny O'Neill. He was great. He was great. The o- my only claim to fame with that is that uh, I was the person who told him that Jason Todd came back to life and involved Lazarus Pit. He was like, how did they do that? And I was like, Lazarus Pit. And he was like, oh, well, that makes sense. And <laughs> but it sounds like he gave you a good grounding, though, in the, yeah, the you know, technical class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I remember now that when you were taking it, and you know, you were you were talking about it, and uh, you know, working on some stuff actually because yeah. of it. So yeah, I mean, I worked with Denny for a couple years at DC. Uh, he was actually only there for a year. I think he retired like uh, about the time, and um, you know, but I, it was an honor. Trying to get nudged out. Yeah. Uh, no. So you know, this is the thing. 
It's like, so, so this is, everybody thinks Danny got nudged out of being the Batman editor. Let me tell you, when he was retiring, he was skipping through the halls, you know, and this is when I, the first time that I realized that online, you know, gossip was really not true because there was no way that Danny, you know, wasn't like, he'd been doing it for like 20 years or something right. like that. You know, he was ready for a change. So, um, yeah, I, I think Danny was, was more than ready to, to retire from editing the bat books. You know, he had a glorious run. Of course he was a great writer. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the Batman, he, he defined Batman. He defined sure. the mm-hmm. dark Batman after the bat, the TV show Batman that was his pop kind of thing. Danny came in and he, you know, brought in Rachel Ghoul and, mm-hmm. um, you know, he worked with Neil Adams and he created the dark creature of the night that really is Batman that we see in the movies and, and you know, in, uh, everywhere. Uh, and he was, you know, he was a lovely man. He was really passionate about, uh, you know, social justice. Uh, you know, a little bit of the, the hippie there, uh, the, the death- showed up in the comics, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I did not read those comics. Uh, the seventies comics, I, I sort of dropped out of superheroes. So I, I sort of knew what was going on more by reputation than reading the comics themselves. Yeah. Well, one thing I will say is a reader of bat books that distinguished his reign on the bat books is that they, actually all made sense together like a lot of times like even no offense to mr bendis he's a good writer but like even his two superman books written by the same guy didn't really (laughs) make sense together um (laughs) like they were both fine on their own but what they have to do each other i don't even i was just like um Whereas, like, I think it must be an incredibly difficult task to do on a, you know, intertwined continuity to have various different writers all doing their thing. But the books basically make sense uh, in the same universe at the same time. Hmm. He pulled it off. That takes work. And not only that, but those books were solid. Like, Hmm. they were – it was a really good run of a lot of comics – um, during his time running the Bat Books, and cool, I have not seen his like since in yeah. running a solid stable of books. No, and I mean he was the last of the old school editors. You know, him and Archie Goodwin were the last of the really old school editors who who you know kept that that original kind of Silver Age uh, editing. I mean, Denny. Of course, debuted in the 70s, which I guess you'd call more the Bronze Age, uh, as did Archie. You know, they were the greatest editors of the 80s for sure. And, and both, you know, both of them, people did their best work for them. So that's the, that's the, the most memorable work. That's the true test of a really great editor. But yeah, Denny was a great, great teacher, a great mentor, a great writer, a great influence. I mean, he really was, um, you know, a legend. He was what, as I said when I wrote, he was one of the rare legends who really lived up to his reputation. He he mm-hmm. really was a, a pretty amazing person. All right. Well, rest in power, Denny O'Neill. All right. Um, well, should we segue to uh, uh, actually a very depressing topic? Yeah. But it yeah. keeps returning. Um, I'll let you guys go on and, and you know I I want to hear what you guys have to say about this because I'm more... well I, I I'm stunned and look this is about more allegations of sexual misconduct in the comics industry and I'm uh, I mean I obviously familiar with the work of both of these artists and it's really dismaying and 
just sad to hear. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about Cameron Stewart and Warren Ellis. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, from what little I've seen of it on the internet, and it does seem like there's more out there that we haven't seen yet, it sounds like, how shall we put this, legal, but morally bad. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a large category of things which you are allowed to do, but should you do? No. Um, and I, I'm not familiar with Cameron, but I, I am familiar with Warren Ellis's work. And as someone who enjoyed his work, but did not follow him as a human being, so I didn't know the ins and outs of his life or personality, I, I felt a little disappointed, I gotta say. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm just stunned because for, certainly for, for Ellis, who's been in the business for so long, done so many, uh, so much great work, um, has such a following. Um, uh, you know, I'm familiar with Stuart from a couple of things, the Batgirl stuff, which actually I kind of liked. And, um, but, um, I mean, the, uh, the things that are being, the allegations against him by multiple, uh, women, it's just dismaying, uh, this, this discussion of grooming, basically pretending to be a friend, um, to, you know, set up some attack. It's just really dismaying. Well, I, you know, I think the two stories are a little different. I mean, Stewart was basically accused of, uh, you know, dating, um, 16 year old girls. 16 year old girls. So, but I, it's, you know, this is over the age of consent in Canada. Like the girl who called him out on it, it was over the age of consent. It seemed like he did keep it to the age of consent in whatever country he was in. There was another account from Scotland where apparently in the UK it's also 16. Okay, whatever. Um, doesn't make it right. I'm just saying that, you know, it's not, uh, illegal. Yeah, so, it's this side of legal, but yeah, it's just morally barely, barely legal, as we say. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, to continue to date girls much younger, and uh, you know, the, the way one person put it was just that he was driven. You know, he used to live in Montreal, and you know, he basically had to leave town because he just, um, you know, been horrible. Uh, dated so many women, was just a serial dater, and you know, grooming them, and um, you know. Uh, just treating them badly. So with Ellis, I, you know, I'm not even sure what the, what the, I, I, you know, and I worked with Warren Ellis and so I kind of recusing myself a little bit from this story because, you know, it's hard. It's definitely something that's affected yeah. me personally. And, um, you know, I don't think, but it was just, I mean, it was no secret that, uh, Warren Ellis is very supportive of, uh, what I guess you would call, you know, sex positive, uh, web, Web, you know, girls. And hmm. so, and then he supported a lot of women. I mean, he supported a lot of women as creators. Uh, uh, you know, one of them, Katie West, who is, uh, she actually runs an agency that, uh, helps people with their conventions. And, um, but you know, and they were great friends. You will find Warren Ellis constantly talking about her work, promoting her work, um, and talking about her being a friend. And then she just came out. And I don't, I'm not sure grooming was the exact word, mm -hmm. just that he, he took advantage of their relationship. Mm. Yeah. But, uh, well, but the, the nature of that. She called him something even worse. What is this? A blue beard. Blue beard, yes. Yeah. I mean. Well, he, I mean, I guess you could say that he, he was hire, hiding his relationship past. Um, I read some other accounts from other women other than her, and it sounds like the pattern is that 
you know, he'd find women who admired his work who were basically fans and then, you know, love bomb them. And then, you know, when they started becoming more independent or more connected to other people in the industry, kind of just cutting off the relationship cold, which, and they were much more younger than him and vulnerable. And they came to him through being fans of his, which again, not a crime, but highly skeevy. Yes. Yeah. It's pervy. It was pervy. It was, you know, even when it was socially acceptable, uh, like some of this stuff, uh, it was, it, it was uncomfortable. It definitely made a lot of people uncomfortable and, um, not so, a nice thing to do. No, it's not a nice thing to do. And it's, it's just super disappointing. I mean, I do think, you know, Katie did come out and say that it, you know, the bad side of Warren didn't mean he didn't help people. Of course, you know, that's not how we, we deal with things, you know. I mean, uh, will Warren Ellis be placed on the scrap heap of history as a comics writer now? Probably. No. You don't think so? I don't think um, so. I th- think he, these days, I think he will be. Who's going to work with him? Okay. For one thing, I mean, it's, it's two different things. One is that Warren Ellis already is not working in comics very much. That's at true. All at the moment. He's sort of moved on to other things. Like, in fact, we ourselves covered something a few weeks ago where he said that he had been offered an imprint and then it didn't happen. Yeah. And that had kind of been his last shot at working in comics. And he was sort of work- moving on to other things. He always says more. that, but anyway. But yeah. whatever. But yeah. I mean, he hasn't been writing a lot of comics in the recent past, and that's just a fact. Right. Um, and secondly, I mean, he has a large body of work that's already out there, many of which are seen as classics, many of True. which heavily inform comics that are coming out today. True. And I don't think that just because he's been revealed to be a bad person the people are going to stop reading those. I think it's going to hurt him getting work in the future, but I don't think that's the same thing as the scrap heap of history, given that he was on the downslope of his comics career anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, just, I just, I meant going forward, but could, yeah. yeah, sure. Right. His backlist is not going to go anywhere. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, I hope not. I hope it doesn't, you know, I yeah. mean, I think, you know, we just went through this with JK Rowling. I was talking about this on another podcast and mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, she's proven herself to be such a horrible, shitty person. And, um, you know, just doubling down on being a horrible, shitty person. Although I will say her ex-husband is even shittier than she is. He's like, oh, I never abused her. I just slapped her a few times. So, you know, like the fact that she was married to this monster is, um, you know, pretty remarkable in and of itself. But, um, but yeah, you know, everybody's like, look, you can still like Harry Potter, you know, uh, you, the feelings that you had for Harry Potter are not changed by, uh, the fact that J.K. Rowling is a horrible transphobic asshole. Uh, so who feels the need to share her thoughts when no one asked her? Exactly. Uh, you know, that's true. Yeah. You, you know, but it, that's interesting. I mean, I can't, I can't listen to. I mean, I grew up listening to Bill Cosby's comedy right. albums. Yeah. I, I I I can't I can't listen to one now. Yeah, of course not. Well, you know, but I mean, I think. I think it all, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Calvin. I think it all has to do with the, where someone places the level of badness of the person and how much they can handle and how much they can't. And, you know, Bill Cosby is a convicted multiple rapist. And yep. Warren Ellis is just the world's worst boyfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yeah. Uh, so, right. And I should, I should be clear. 
and proportionate here. Yeah, right. and so that we know of. Hey, I'm just going to throw this in here. That we, we don't know. know. We don't know. We that's don't, what yeah, we know right now. That's, that's what, what we I'm know saying. right now. It's like we do not know really what the we Warnolls do not know really. Does. Yeah, so we do not, not really yeah. know. That is yeah. true from uh, what we've heard. From what we've heard. We've heard. Yes, but yeah. but you know, and so but. But that is enough, sure, for plenty of people probably not to want to read his work. I mean, it would leave a bad taste in my mouth too. But I'm I'm not sure that it's really going to completely turn off future readers of his old work. Yeah, yeah. well, I, and I, I should be clear to say we aren't we aren't talking about a level of yeah. Of, of there's a oxy. there's a continuum of crappy human Crunch. beings. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and you you don't you can be on the crappy human being continuum without having committed a crime and yeah, I, I, absolutely and i feel like yeah absolutely and i i i personally feel like you know we're just going through a time mode and everything is being reaching a reckoning you know we are still here in new Ooh. york anyway stuck at home you know we've seen uh the black lives matter movement embraced everywhere from new york city you know mayor to nascar so can we just stop for a moment and think about that (laughs) and and it's like you know so it's like okay now we've uh you know solved black lives matter so let's move on to sexual predators and comics and you know i i just don't feel it works that way i mean i think we're having all of this put on us and i think we need to go back to black lives matter and keep working on that a little bit but um you know certainly we need to work on uh, sexual predators but I, i just you know for me personally like I just can't like like I think social media has been the greatest thing ever where Black Lives Matter and George Floyd is concerned because it's just made everybody stop and be like, you know, hey, children, what's that sound? Everybody see what's going down, you know, like like pay attention, get out. It really is amazing because, I mean, the issues around uh, police brutality uh and systematic and systemic racism in American society, these are not new. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, these, are, these aren't new. The charges uh, of them aren't new. Um, uh, and people <laughs> that I would never have even imagined supporting Black Lives Matter uh, are doing it and doing it full throated. Uh, it's NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, really? Uh, they uh-huh. get rid of Confederate flags one day after Bubba Wallace, who I knew of, you know, and I mean, I look at, I actually watched the occasional last five laps of the Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big, you know, car racing guy, but you know, the last 10 laps or so of, the Daytona, it's pretty pretty exciting. Um, but to have that happen, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's pretty extraordinary. And of course, we're in an industry. I'm in an industry, book publishing, that no one uh, uh, considers especially diverse. Yeah. Um, and that industry is looking at itself now, or is purporting to be, in ways that that it just has never done. Right. And and I think this is the most useful and most important kind of introspection. And you know, for some, I, I, I okay, I, I feel like you know, issues racism is a really easy thing. Not easy. Well, I have to be careful. Right. I this. Okay, I know. No, no, it's an easy thing <laughs> to understand that the solution is not to shoot 
you know, black men. Don't have the lowest level of understanding. The lowest level of understanding. Don't murder anybody. Black men when you're You're a cop and they and they fall asleep in the you know the drive through. So it's like that's pretty easy. I will say, like the thing that annoys me about or or troubles me about the sexual predators, the outing of the sexual predators, that immediately people are like, you know, that's it. Comics suck. I can't believe, you know, that's the worst industry. I'm leaving comics. No wonder I got out of comics. It's like, are you? I don't quite get that either. I've said this every time we cover one of these stories. It's like, will you get real? Will you, like, go look at the rest of the freaking world? It's just as bad. This is not endemic to comics. In fact, I will say this. If anything... In comics, we have a community that comes together to try to solve these problems, okay? Absolutely. And I think we have a stronger community that's in a better place to try to solve these problems, okay? And as opposed to everything that's going on, you know, with Russell Simmons and our Kelly. All of these issues are pervasive in American society and throughout American industries of all kinds. And right. And every industry, there are sexual predators, okay? The creative industry, I will say, you know, there was a story um, about, you know, uh, the author's you know, a lot of authors got me too. Also, who did the same thing? Yeah, like you know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, young women who were into their work uh, got sucked into a web and then discarded. Okay, so it's not comics. I just can't stand all this. No, no, it's, it's a, it just, you know, it just annoys me as opposed to like you know, like it's not, it's not, you know. I mean, outcry is great, of course. Outrage does, you know, the protest is not policy. Yeah. That's all. But I will say this. One thing that, that has been um, uh, really as inspiring uh, about the Black Lives Matter movement is that uh, particularly in its present uh, incarnation after the George – the horrible incident of uh, the murder of George Floyd by the Minneapolis police is that it, it is it, – it, it's really – it's gone beyond the initial in- incident. Yes. It's provoked – Every it seems like every aspect of American society to take a look, and um, people, including white people, uh, saying this is awful. Now, to a certain extent, I mean, some will say, you know, it's always been awful, and we've been saying this for a long time. But you know, hey, I'm not complaining. Right. Um, yeah, uh, it really has uh, rippled through society. In a way that I find really just amazing and inspiring. I, yeah. I'm going to say something that's a little bit cynical, but I, I don't think it, it's as cynical as it sounds. I think some of it has to do with lockdown. And I, oh, yeah. I don't, I, yes. I, I don't mean that it's not genuine, but I think people have a lot of things to distract themselves with. They have a lot of things that they put in between themselves and introspection. And you don't have those when you're locked down. That it's harder for people not to just sit with the idea and not to just be like, oh, well, I'm busy with work. Oh, well, I don't have time to think about this. Well, that's, you know, that's a good point, Kate, because really, uh, you know, there's nowhere else to run. And all you, if you turn on any TV or anything for the last, what, two weeks? Yeah. There's Mm. there's nothing else to see. Newspapers, online, uh, Twitter. Social media, it's all about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. As it should be. 
As it, as it should be. I mean, and it's this good, you know, that, yeah, I'd say if something good comes out of this pandemic, it's going to be America finally convinced, con, uh, confronting its systemic racism. And, well, you know, I mean, a little bit more. A little bit yeah. more, yeah. Well, let's, and, let's hope. We're going to yes. see. We're going to see. At least trying. At trying. Right. At least, you know, in some ways trying. Well, at least we got rid of Aunt Jemima. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's a topic we should we talk. Got, yes, but got, and apparently yeah. Uncle Ben is on his way yeah. out too, as so, well as um, uh, cream of wheat. But uh, anyway, to bring it back to the the comic side of things, you know, I, I, unfortunately, knowing how to have healthy relationships with people is a lot harder. Yeah, it's a lot it's harder really. to solve. So you know, it's a, but you know, knowing, knowing, naming, uh, and you know, believing victims, calling out predators, pointing out their behavior. Is, yeah. is a start. It's a start. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, uh, okay. Um, we're going to move from that topic to something <laughs> that's actually related in, a, in, a, in another way, but actually it's something to celebrate. Uh, and what I'm talking about is the 25th uh, anniversary of the publication of Stuck Rubber Baby by Howard Cruz. Um, and I had the, the, um, great benefit to know Howard a little bit, uh, interviewed him a couple of times and got to know him a little bit and would see him at the various shows, the nicest guy ever. Uh, and really one of the great cartoonists of the, uh, 20th century. Uh, and this book that we're talking about, Stuck Rubber Baby, is a totally pioneering book. And in some ways it's coming out at just the right time, uh, even though, uh, we're, it's, we're in a period of convulsed uh by uh what all the issues we were talking about but stuck rubber baby uh was it was originally published in 1995 by DC Comics i still find it somewhat astonishing um and it what it is is a uh, uh it's it's a it's it's a fictional uh treatment but it it it's based on 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 howard's uh um life as a a gay a young closeted gay man uh, growing up in the Jim Crow South in the late, in the middle 1950s into the early 1960s. And, uh, it, it tells a story, um, of, well, basically him coming to terms with his, trying to come to terms with his own, uh, sexual, uh, identity, uh, in a town that is as viciously homophobic as it is viciously racist. Uh, this is the South. Uh, in, you know, in the 1950s and the 1960s, it, just as the civil rights movement was beginning. And it's also about, um, this young, uh, gay white dude's relationship with the African American community of this town, uh, both queer and straight, and how they all navigated both the, uh, their, their, uh, um, their suppression, their violence, uh, uh, their personal relationships. It's beautifully illustrated. It's eloquent. Uh, it's just, it's just one of these books that's, there's nothing else really like it. Uh, uh, first second is publishing, uh, the 25th anniversary edition. Allison Bechtel, uh, uh has written, a, uh, it's actually, she's rewritten a, um, an introduction she did to the book uh, in, in a previous uh, edition, and I just want to read a, a, a little p- part of what she says about it. Uh, and I quote: uh, "The formal virtuosity of Stuck Rubber Baby is ambitious, 
It's its ambitious historic sweep. It's rich characters. It's unflinching look at sex, race, violence, hate, and love make it an immersive, truly novelistic reading experience in a way that's still uncommon for graphic narrative to achieve. So uh, I'll leave out my uh, I'll leave off with Alison Bechtel's uh, accolades for Howard Cruz's really magnum opus. Well, it's true, and it was so, you know, like, uh, it got The late Howard Cruz, I should say. The late Howard Cruz, yes. And, uh, you know, this was published at DC as part of its Paradox line. The editor was Andy Helfer, and, uh, you know, this was a line that was meant to bring the graphic novel. It was a little bit ahead of its time. I mean, 25 years ago, they really didn't know what to do with Stuck Rubber Baby. Uh, It's great to see it come back. I I agree with everything Calvin just said. It's fantastic to see it come back uh, in a better time with a more, uh, where there's a more of an audience that might be more receptive yeah um and we have a uh, an interview with uh the editor uh robin chapman um at publisherswiki.com slash comics so she talks a little bit about that about putting together about it has a trove of reference materials in it in the back um there are statements i mean the the key figure in the book is a gay man who ends up uh you know having a kid and getting his girlfriend pregnant and so all of this happened to Howard, and it's in the it's in the book. You, there are statements from his daughter today, um, from the woman that uh, you know that um, uh, he had the kid with. It, it's just a, it's a really really nice package, but at the core of the thing is the book itself. So get a copy if you if you you know if you if you love comics, if you love great literature. Get a copy of, of the 25th anniversary of Stuck Rubber Baby. All right. Okay, Comic-Con update? Yeah, well, Comic-Con so, update. So <laughs> there's no Comic-Cons. We know that. So Emerald City was postponed, but it is officially canceled. Uh, and also uh, Keystone, like Reed has canceled all of its shows except New York Comic-Con. But uh, I wouldn't be too surprised if New York Comic-Con got canceled. As I, well. Yes, I would I don't see how it would be open. I don't see how I mean, I'd mourn it, but I don't, I don't see how it's going to work. They're not going to let 200,000 people... No. Hang out no. in the Javits Center, uh, which is still set up, I think, for a possible surge. Yes, in the yes, fall. it has some hospital. Yes, it's still being, and you know, San Diego Convention Center is being used as a homeless shelter. So, and, uh, yeah, and frankly, they could use, they could easily switch it from hospital beds to to homeless shelter beds very, very quickly if they decide more of a need for that. Because I mean, currently they're putting up a significant portion of New York's. A homeless population in hotels because they need to in order to have social distancing for them. Um, yep. Yep. So it's it's just not the best conditions for a con. But but there is or was a con that decided that it was going to happen anyway. And where else? It happened in Florida. <laughs> Florida man, only this case. Florida, Florida man. con. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, there was a guy wrote a, a blog post about it, and you know, it's he it's compared uh, it to Leroy Jenkins. <sighs> yeah, yep, Leroy Jenkins, and he has all these photos that there was no cap on a, there is no cap on the um. Uh, you know, number of attendees, there is no social distancing, there is no hand sanitizer, no mask, there's nothing. And you wonder why your cases are going up, people. Um, so, they're you know. Really, I'm looking at these, these rooms and they are just packed. It looks like, like a Comic Con before 
mm-hmm. before this. I'm seeing literally two masks in yeah, any of them. it looks in exactly. All- he says, among those in the crowd were two attendees passing out flyers for their own convention. Neither person was wearing a mask or wearing gloves. Instead of taking a physical flyer, I asked to take a photo of it. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So, you know, Florida, go with God. Uh, but there's more events planned in Florida. And although one of them has been canceled. Uh, so, you know, let's just see how that goes. Uh, you know. But really, what, what we're talking about now is a season of virtual um, yes. uh, uh, comics conventions um, or some effort to, to mark the calendar uh, and, and simulate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the in-person experience. Um, you know, I was a part of Book Expo Online, which actually generated um, an impressive amount of traffic across I think about three days of online panels, including I did one. Uh, so uh, we know that um, uh, Comic-Con at Home is on the way. Yes. That's going to launch. Uh, apparently it's going to be the same date. There's not a whole lot of information about it, but it's, it's going to be the same dates as, uh, what, July 23rd through 26th, I think? Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, they are... They're already doing a lot of panels for it, um, are already being recorded, so uh, that's it. And, you know, we're going to do a um, – we're going to do well, the Four Ladies in a Hotel Room. We're going to do a special podcast uh, for during Comic-Con. Obviously, we will be in our Zoom room, but, you know, we're, we're going to continue as much of the traditions as we can. Oh, yeah. We'll have to come up with some sort of more to come since we're yep. always virtual. Well, we, we, should, to- <laughs> we should. We should do some interviews or something, you know. Yeah, we let's we'll have some, to brainstorm something. We'll yeah. brainstorm something about that, yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, a little story that you guys might not have seen because it broke pretty late in the day, but, uh, like the Eisner voting, I guess the Eisners will also be handed out, uh, virtually, which a lot of awards is being done. But, uh, this afternoon there was, uh, or today, the website was for vote. Today was to have been the deadline for voting in the Eisners, but it's been, uh, post- pushed off because apparently if you went on to the site and logged in, you could see the previous person's information there and uh, so people went in and were changing the votes and i will say i have noticed this on some other websites from time to time i don't specifically remember the eisner site doing this but um you know it is a web coding thing so um yeah that is not great so so there and it's called an anomaly and they're investigating it and we don't know when uh voting will finish so all right Um, and then, then we have, uh, you know, the uh, sort of satellite shows with the, 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 the DC, um, what's it? Fundo. Sure. Fandom. Fun- excuse me. Fandom. <laughs> Any name is better than Fandom. Yeah. Uh, but that's coming in August. Why, why are they calling it Fandom? Does anyone know why? <laughs> I have no idea. So dumb. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's coming. It's uh, a, a big online event. It seems to be generated by um, Warner Brothers uh, yes. in particular, uh, though it's it's going to show up the comics. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of emphasis on the movies from what yeah. I can see. Yeah, it seems that they are going to have, um, you know, they're going to do what they would have. Like Warner Brothers always has a huge presence at San Diego Comic-Con. And since there is no San Diego Comic-Con, they're going to do it uh, in their own virtual way. They're going to have six different areas. The DC Watch First, uh, sit back and join our virtual audience, become a clean and gross of hours of must-see content from around the world. Okay, uh, They're going to have DC Insiderverse, this creativity-based world. That's where I want to live, a creativity-based world. Some <laughs> pertains a centerpiece video featuring legendary artist and DC CCO publisher Jim Lee. Uh, 
DC-based film production, Walter Romeda, creator of the DC Arrowverse, Greg Berlanti, welcoming fans with a 101-style introduction to the DC multiverse. There you go. Uh, they're going to have cast member people around. Uh, being, oh, and there's a big event for um, uh, uh, for blurbs. Yes. For blurbs. The black, cult, black pop culture nerds. Uh, so there's what? Bl- yeah, blurb and Bougie House at the DC fandom. So, yeah. They, there's a website up. You can go. There's like all kinds of stuff. Um, there's even a kids fandom as well. Uh, more to come. Yeah, yeah, exactly. More to come on that. So, <laughs> and you know, I'm working on a story, uh, which I should be working on now, actually, but, uh, a full, about conventions, uh, it would have been the, the San Diego Comic Con preview, but instead it's a story about conventions. So I'm talking to yes. publishers, I'm talking to creators, exhibitors, talking to, uh, showrunners, and, uh, should be a pretty interesting story. Great. All right. You, you go, girl. <laughs> okay. We're counting on you. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I have a, like a list of just some things I just like to hype. <laughs> is that okay? Should yeah, we yeah. Is that sure. okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hype some stuff. I don't remember whether we announced this or not. The, the, uh, uh, the anti-racist graphic novel reading list. Um, but if we didn't, I don't, I can't remember what we did, but, um, uh, I would like to go to publisherswiki.com slash comics. Um, the comics editors there, we put together a list of, of, uh, basically, uh, in tribute to the memory of George Floyd. We put a list of graphic novels together about African American life and history. And it's, it's over, it's mostly nonfiction, but there, there are some key, uh, uh, fictional treatments too that we think that because of their settings and their, their skillful characterizations, uh, give you some insight into African American life. Um, and I'd just like to point out again, um, Heidi's feature on graphic novels in libraries. Uh, also at the same, uh, location on the web, publishersweekly.com slash comics. And we look into how libraries have been, uh, dealing with the pandemic. So just a, just a shout out about some stuff we got there. Uh, yeah. It's my busy season. Yeah. I talked to everybody. Oh, and I have to point out one more thing, or the, or, or, or the people at PW will chase me down the street. Um, uh, today was the first uh, episode of Books on Tap Live, PW's new uh, uh, video conference author interview series. Uh, I was uh, asked to do the first initial one. I got to, I spent an hour, well, really 45 minutes talking with Svetlana. Shmakova, Shmakova. I, I've been. I, pardon me, Svetlana, for mangling your name there. I think I got it right the second time. Uh, Shmakova and her new book, The Weird Books, um, uh, is it will, it was published this week. Uh, it's from the universe of her Night School series. Uh, check it out. It will be archived at uh, publishersweekly.com/slash/booksontaplive. And we talk about her career, about her new book, uh, uh, and lots more. So check it out. And there's more to come more on that as well. More to come. More to come. Well, we're oh, all, there's so much more to come. Oh God, there's more to come. Uh, we're all embracing this virtual world as, uh, as strange as Our temporary home. Our temporary home. But temporary might be a while. <laughs> temporary yeah. might be yeah. until It'll there's be a, a vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, 
Um, well, on that note, I guess have we covered all you know all of the stuff on our lengthy list? I think we have. We've covered all of our major points. I mean, there there are some some minor things. For example, uh, Jerry Conway um, annoyed by the fact that um, people have appropriated his Punisher symbol for uh, as a symbol of racism or bonking undeserving innocent people over the head is now doing a fundraiser uh, called Skulls for Justice, where he has Black Lives Matter-themed Punisher shirts <laughs> available for a charity. Okay. So, you know, nice. good for him. Yeah, I, I, good for him. You go for it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And so do I have anything? I think I've, I think I've got all my... Yeah, I think we've got all the major stories. Everything here. off my chest. You, you know, you can tell you guys, the longer we're in quarantine, the longer we just crumble... We well, just crumbled. Well, well, how are you guys doing? That, that, I think you know. I think we ought to talk about that. How's, it's been how's, three months, but a full yeah. three months, right? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I'm okay. I uh, one of my neighbors. I think I've been saying about how I have neighbors that I've been quarantining with. One of them has gone off for a couple months to spend time at the beach and with her family. So uh, there's one left, but then she's moving. So I'm going to be all on my own. So. Yeah. If anybody wants to come hang out on the street, you know, day drinking in my neighborhood is a really big pastime. Everybody is standing outside the bar, standing on the sidewalks. Uh, I have not done that yet. so I'm Well, still- I haven't either, but that's a big thing. Boy, it is a huge thing. I, I bike around every evening, and let me tell you, I'm not sure this is how uh, the governor and the mayor uh, <laughs> expected this to play out, but – the 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 crowded inside of a bar has been moved uh, outside the bar. Yeah, and let so, me tell you, it's the loud drunk people shouting. Yes, in the street. yes, and yeah. apparent and, and apparently uh, super spreading. So I yeah. mean, so that's a little a little different. But yeah. Yeah. there are a few places I've found uh, that bars that have takeout or cocktails to go, and people actually do uh, social distance. And they buy their beer and then buy whatever they're going to do, and they either they they get as far that far away from everybody else as they can, or they go home. So there are places that do try to do it properly. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I just can't, I can't blame anyone who is desperate for human contact at this point. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, it's just super Please hard. Wear your masks. Folks. Yeah, Please wear your masks. yeah, wear the mask. It's yeah. easy. You're not yeah. protecting yourself. You're protecting someone else. Yeah, well, yeah, so my mask protects you. Your mask yeah. protects me. It's, an it's act not of that hard of an idea. And, and seriousness. Do your thing. Yeah. Do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, I would say that um, lockdown is making my other job a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, I don't really like being locked in an apartment all day. It's not what I want to do. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm at an office one day a week, but still, it's not great. Um, I'm really glad that I'm at least close enough to Prospect Park, um, that I can walk there. That's great. So I actually have some trees. But other than that, it's not my favorite time in the world. Um, yeah. I'm not alone in that, I don't think. And I don't think I'm like uniquely like troubled by it, but you know, I'm not loving it. I gotta say. Well, I hear you. I mean, I, I just tell you, my my major activity of the day is to get on my bike and ride around in circles and come back home. You're lucky so. you can ride a bike, though. That's awesome. I wish I could ride a bike. I can't. 
Uh, so, well, after the pandemic, we'll have to teach you how to ride a bike. I'm too. I'm not going to ride the bike in New York City. I, that is like <laughs> street pizza. I will, you know, I broke my wrist skating. Well, maybe, well, maybe you're I, right. I know, yeah, no. Heidi, no teeth. Heidi, no teeth. Okay, you know. well, maybe you're right. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Heidi, uh, yeah, okay. So, so listeners, this is our little uh, unusual sojourn into um, being lifestyle YouTubers. Nah. Oh. Oh, so glamorous, uh, the lives of comics journalists. Yeah. But, um, on that note, there will be more to come.